York sports fans. I am Danielle McCartan. What do you want to call it? Danielle in the daytime, McCartan in the morning, whatever it is. I'll be talking all things New York sports with you guys right up until you can hear right here on The Fan, the Minnesota Twins at the New York Yankees. And don't forget, too, well, the Mets fans are in Los Angeles and taking on Max Scherzer and the Dodgers at 405. Or if you're a Mets fan, maybe that's something that you do want to forget and to avoid on your TVs a little bit later today. Also, you got the Jets and Packers at 425 today and the Giants at the Browns 1 p.m. tomorrow. So, lots to do today, as you can imagine, and not a ton of time to get it done today with the Yankees on in the afternoon. So, with that said, Big Zoo, Edard Zuman, and I are coming to you live from the Carton and Roberts studio here in Lower Manhattan. I want to welcome my overnight listeners. I see you guys and the brand new sets of ears that are tuned in right now at this very minute. You guys know where the number to call, 877-337-6666. I'm sure it's already programmed into your phones. And as always, let's load them up with your best content only. Today, uh, no guests, but I'm going to weave in the sound that I I was able to capture during the pregame of Thursday night's Yankees game from my one-on-ones with... Well, actually, I had you guys guess on social media. For player one, I put the blue freezing cold emoji face, like cold, like coal, cold-blooded Garrett Cole. Got some audio from him one-on-one. And then for player two, I put the Italian flag emoji. And that could have either been one or two players, Joey Gallo or Anthony Rizzo. I got Joey Gallo one-on-one. So starting with the Yankees. Hot air. Yeah. Friday night, the Yankees achieved an eight-game, season-high, eight-game winning streak in their beatdown of the Minnesota Twins. That streak puts them as having the best win streak in baseball tied with, guess who, those aforementioned Dodgers. Yankees are going to try for nine in a row right after my show today on the right arm of Garrett Cole. The New York Yankees are the hottest team in baseball since the All-Star break. Fact. The New York Yankees, if the season ended today, are a postseason team. Fact. And don't look now, but the New York Yankees are just four games behind the AL East leading Tampa Bay Rays in the division. The Rays, by the way, lost to the the White Sox in extras on Friday night. So can the Yankees catch them? Well, maybe. Two weeks ago, if you asked the Yankees fan this, that exact same question, their answer would have been absolutely not. My answer included in that. Last night on Twitter, at Coach M-C-C-A-R-T-A-N, I have it open right now, I'm looking at it, I asked you guys with a two-hour poll that I put up, I, I thought about this in the fourth inning of last night's game, and I asked, with exactly 40 games remaining in the season, pending last night's Friday night's outcome, can the Yankees overcome the Rays for first place in the AL East? of you guys voted that, yes, the Yankees could overtake the Rays atop the division. And if you did the math, that means 42% of you guys voted, no, they cannot. Me? I think so, as crazy as that sounds. Really, think about it. Just a few weeks ago, I was advocating for the Yankees to blow it up at the deadline. But the Greg Allens, the Andrew Velasquez's, combined with the Joey Gallows and the Anthony Rizzo's, well... They've changed the complexion of this team. The base paths are certainly alive again, and that is one of the main things that I was a proponent for, which is why I wanted Frazier from the uh, from the Pirates. That was my suggestion. The Yankees have the most stolen bases since the All-Star break, 30. 
Why is that significant? Because they had the least amount of stolen bases before the All-Star break. 20. Literally, they went from worst to first in that category. And what a difference. Alex Cora already told you that the Yankees team that they had, the Red Sox just faced, and this is a quote, he said, it's a different team than early in the season. And he also said they're more agile, they're more versatile, and more athletic. There you go. The essential question for today's show, like I have in my daily lessons for each class, begins with the word, how? How has a team that looked all but dead and buried? That's a Justin Timberlake song. Maybe I could have had that one. Dead and gone. As recently as the 2021 trade deadline, the Yankees were all but dead and buried. How have they been able to resurrect themselves? That is the essential question of today. And you'll hear, I asked Garrett Cole and Joey Gallo, I'll have that for you at 1040, and I asked them directly, what do they think? That same question. But I've got three observations of my own to share with you all. Now, the number one reason how the Yankees have been able to resurrect their season is, believe it or not, they're starting pitching. Since July 6th, and not including Friday night's game, the Yankees rank first in all of baseball in wins. They rank third in all of baseball in starters ERA, 2.94, opponent average against, 214, and strikeout percentage, 26%. Why do I say believe it or not? Well, it's because think of how the starting rotation was projected to be and now how it is. And with all of the changes in between. Cole, Kluber, Herman, Montgomery, Tyone, Nelson, Garcia, King, Cortez Jr., Wojciechowski, Haney, Heal, Peralta, Licky. The Yankees have started 14 different pitchers this season. 11 of them after that July 6th date where they've assembled to be one of the best in baseball. Don't figure it out on your own. I've got you. The only three of the 14 starters that the Yankees have used uh, that have not participated in any of the pitching since that July 6th um, date of demarcation are Kluber, Garcia, and King. That's all. And also, don't forget that Cole and Montgomery were just recently out on the COVID IL. And the last game that Corey Kluber pitched in a Yankee uniform was on May 25th. Only one start and three innings removed from his no-hitter in Texas against the Rangers. So I would say, overall, quite impressive for all of those guys to step up collectively in that fashion. The number two way in which the Yankees have been able to resurrect their season is the fact that they have the lowest chase rate in the American League. The Yankees have returned to reclaim their title of Savages in the Box from 2019. You know what else happened in 2019? They reached Game 6 of the ALCS, where they ultimately lost to the untrustworthy, probably still cheating Astros. And also, remember in the beginning of the year, I'm talking like way in the beginning. If you're a fan of the show, you know it. I was able to tally up all of the games by hand and check every box score by hand, and that's how far ago this was. I said that the Yankees, when they got down early, they, they couldn't fight back. They did not have the ability to come back and win those games. And my observation was based, as you've come to expect by now, in facts and figures. So the number three way that the Yankees have been able to resurrect their season is that they no longer are that team. The Yankees now jump out to fast leads all of a sudden. Working backwards, Friday night, they scored four runs in the first inning. Actually, when Brett Gardner stepped to the plate that inning, 
that same first inning with bases loaded and two outs, the Yankees had batted around in an inning for only the second time this season. And for good measure, they tacked on two more runs in the second inning last night, too, against a rookie pitcher making his fourth career start. Rough for him, but that's what has to happen for the Yankees. Thursday, working backwards now, they scored four runs in the third inning. Wednesday, they scored four runs in the second inning. You know, you see the trend, right? By the way, the Yankees won all of those games. Add this up like a math problem, and what do you get? You get complimentary baseball in the Bronx. Finally. What I found interesting was that DJ LeMay, who told Meredith Morakovitz prior to Friday's game, he said, we're playing to win. We're, not, we're pl- not playing not to lose, if that makes sense. Well, if you're a player, if you ever played a game in a league, in a competitive league, if you're a coach, especially as a coach, I felt that I understood that better as a coach. You get what he means. It means that none of the players are playing as though they're afraid to make a mistake. That's a bad environment. The Yankees relievers ERA is 3.53, which is ninth best in the league, which is good. But the one worry I do still have for this Yankees team is closing, actually slamming the door shut and finishing a game. Is it Chapman? Is it Loisica? Is it Green? Is it a fluid situation? That, at least at the moment, is the Yankees' Achilles heel. They won't catch many rays if they can't figure out that piece of the equation. And where the Yankees are red hot, the Mets are, well, let's let Tom Petty tell you. You know, like in physics class, when they ask you that stupid word problem about gravity, if you throw a bowling ball and a feather off the Empire State Building, which is going to land first? Well, the answer is none of them. The answer is the New York Mets. They are defying gravity, perplexing, I'm sure, even Sir Isaac Newton himself. And they're plummet out of first place and down the standings and their free fall, both in the NL East and in the NL wildcard pitcher. 538, I love that website, has the Mets as a 7% chance to make the postseason. According to this model, they're teetering on the cusp of irrelevance They're within a 6% slide of joining teams that'll be golfing in October. Those like the Marlins, the Rockies, and the Orioles. It's hard to fathom, given that almost exactly one month ago, to the day, the Mets had the ninth best make the postseason percentage at 57%. And the Mets, in the month of August, have a better team batting average than exactly two other teams. The Rangers... And the Pirates, not great company, considering both of those teams were sellers at the deadline and the Mets were buyers. And you can't consistently win games like that, no matter who's on the mound for you. We all understand, at least on my show, that the Mets season went off the rails during that pitiful Marlins series. You all know that that was the first time this season where I sounded the alarm that I had lost faith in these Mets. Luis Rojas signed, sealed, and delivered his pink slip, in my opinion, with the statement that he made after Thursday night's Dodgers game. My guess, I don't know the question, I didn't hear the question, but my guess is that he was asked about the Mets' recent slide. And he responded, These things can build up sometimes and destroy a team. That's where the leaders of the group, myself, have to come in and make sure that doesn't happen. Well, the turnaround chances seem bleak. 
And Rojas, and rightfully so, labeled himself the leader of this free fall. I'm not in that clubhouse. In fact, not one single member of the media is. But with each successive loss, I'm going to venture to guess that it's starting to fragment itself. I mean, you're starting to see the frustration boiling over onto the field. Friday night, case in point, the SNY camera caught Jeff McNeil in the early innings, gesturing frustratedly and using the F word after he grounded out in the third inning. Not to mention the fact that he struck out on a pitch that was not a strike in the late innings, in a crucial spot. And Luis Rojas stayed glued to the top step of the dugout. I mean, the rest of the game was probably pre-planned already at that point. It was in cruise control mode. He should have gotten out of that dugout, took it to kick some dirt on the umpire, tossed his hat on the ground, and injected some fire into his team. And in fact, he didn't. He stayed on that top step and made Jeff McNeil look like a crazy man. I mean, he does that often. But he had a real good point there. That ball was not a strike on strike three. But even more alarming. Friday night, the SNY camera caught J.D. Davis from his butt with his arms outstretched, exclaiming, come on, Pete, F-word. Davis, who is a subpar third baseman, we've talked about it at nauseum here, should have never even thrown that ground ball to first base to begin with. As an infielder, you have an internal clock of when to throw it and when not to throw it. When a base runner is within one stride of tagging first base, that's an obvious, don't do it. Davis clearly didn't know that. Threw the ball anyway, and it got by Alonzo, allowing the runner to take second base. That run ended up scoring. I got to tell you, Chris Bryant probably would have not done that. And Davis, after that unnecessary outburst, throwing his teammates under the bus for his mistake, was penciled in by Rojas to start at third base again Friday night. Huh? Not to mention, got caught looking and ended the Mets' chance of even trying to tie it up or take the lead against the Dodgers in what was at the eighth inning, I guess. So, are the Mets feeling the pressure of their owner breathing down their necks? Well, we'll talk about that a little later in the show. But of course... The Mets have dealt with injury to significant players during this stretch. I'm talking Lindor, Baez, and DeGrom. I'm not counting guys like Syndergaard in that. He hasn't seen the field yet in 2021, him and others, you know what I mean? But it could not have come at a worse time. The Mets, as everyone knew, were entering and currently are in the midst of the most grueling stretch in their entire 2021 schedule. Two series with the Dodgers and two against the Giants. Those two teams have the two highest winning percentages in the entire major leagues sustained throughout the season. So far, the Mets have not been able to get it done. They are 1-8 in these games so far. But it's not like they haven't had their chances. They had a great chance to take the lead with bases loaded in last, night, last night's game. Couldn't get it done. McNeil struck out, looking, which we went over, was not a strike. And you had uh, J.D. Davis up there looking at strike three. That was a strike. They were hammering the, the strike zone high. Then they went low and, and just confused him, just tricked him. I mean, in a big spot like that, I mean, the approach is just all wrong, man. It's just all, foul it off. Choke up on the bat. Put it in play. 
Put the pressure on the defense at that point. I think back also to the two Dodgers games at City Field, one of which I was at, covering it. The ones that finished in extra innings, both of them, with the Mets losing by one run in each of them, they couldn't capitalize again. So it's just to beat the good teams, you have to do the little things right. I mean, Sunday versus the Dodgers at home. Conforto totally misplayed a ball near the, the wall in right field. It ended up being a triple for McKinney. Scherzer came up next and recorded a sack fly. And if Conforto didn't give away that out and actually made the catch, Max Muncy's two-run home run a few batters later would have never happened. The third out would have already been recorded. And what about Wednesday? Well, the Mets knocked out Giants starting pitcher Anthony Disclafani in the second inning. Cool, right? Mets are cruising. And it's a comedy of errors. VR gets picked off at first base for yet another time. For the he's like the most picked off runner in all of baseball. I mean, get a clue. Then you got Tyler Tyler McGill. He spiked the ball, allowed the runner to go to second, and of course that runner became the first to score in the game. So it's just the little things, especially against the good teams. And as far as the injury front, possibly within the week, I'm doing air quotes here. The Mets will see Lindor back at shortstop and Baez back at second base. But my question is, both are eligible to come off the the IL tomorrow, on the 22nd, though. Get them out there. Or are they going to wait until it's too late? McNeil, by the way, has been taking grounders at third base and taking outfield practice. Yikes. And while the news may have been startling to receive on Friday afternoon, it is not as scary as you might have thought initially. I'm here to tell you that the Mets transferred, of course, Jacob deGrom to the 60-day IL, which, though, is retroactive to July 15th. So he's going to be eligible to return on September 13th, literally right in line for when he'd have to come back anyway. The difference now is that the Mets are able to pick up a pitcher in his absence. And in case you're curious, because I was, the date of deGrom's last start was July 7th. Ten strikeout, seven-inning complete game shutout. I say that because it was game one, of a doubleheader against the Brewers. The Mets have a dilemma. Do they just shut him down and opt for surgery? He probably needs it anyway right now. And I'm not speaking for any point of knowledge there. I'm also not a doctor. But my opinion is that another week or even two won't kill the Mets to wait. Wait it out just a little longer. But in the meantime, they've certainly got their work cut out for them today. They're up against Max Scherzer, and 538 gives the Mets a 32% chance of winning. By the way, last night's percent chance of winning before the game started, 31. So take that as you may. And what are the Jets' chances of beating the Green Bay Packers, B, C, and D teams in a few hours? Who cares about wins and losses in a preseason? I know. But we'll talk about how to pivot from the devastating season-ending Carl Lawson injury and what I'm looking for in that game later today, as well as what I'm looking for in the Browns and Giants game tomorrow. And how about the fact that the Browns cornerback, Troy Hill, and Sterling Shepard went at it during that joint practice Friday afternoon? I tell you, it was a more exciting boxing match than Mayweather-McGregor, I'll tell you that much. And of course, we got some big retirements of some legends in and around our city to discuss. So let's get it going. I have set the table for you guys. I can't wait to talk with you. 877-337-6666. I am Danielle McCartan in the daytime on the fan in New York City. We've got Ed Arzuman taking your calls, checking the contest line there, everybody. Good luck. 
identify that turning point in the game. I do have my guess, and that'll be coming up after someone wins the prize, of course. And oh my God, it is an exciting time for the New York Yankees baseball. I mean, come on. And of course, this week the NBA released its, its Christmas Day schedule. And it's also exciting for Knicks and Nets fans. Santa brought you guys an early Christmas in July present. You've got at noon, while you're eating your Christmas Day lasagna or stuffed shells, the Atlanta Hawks are in town against the Knicks. And that game, to me, will be intriguing for the simple fact that Atlanta bested New York in the first round of the playoffs and completely incapacitated Julius Randle and the Knicks. So I would be interested to see how the Knicks could hang with the Hawks in a high-pressure, nationally televised game with their brand-new additions in, in Walker and Fournier. And then on Christmas Day, you've got the Nets at the Lakers at 8 p.m. prime time, which is such a clash of the NBA's Titans, provided that they're all healthy and, and actually playing. You've got Kyrie Irving, Kevin Durant, and James Harden taking on LeBron James, Russell Westbrook, and Anthony Davis. I mean, that sounds like an all-star game, and really, it could really legitimately be an NBA Finals preview. So exciting day for Christmas if you're a Nets or a Knicks fan. Let's go to the calls. 877-337-6666. Ruben in Belleville will be our leadoff caller of the day, and he looks like he's a Yankee fan. So you are the DJ LeMahieu of the show today, Ruben. What's up? Oh, uh, you know, I just had to call because this is the future of the fan, right? We got Big Zoo on one side and Coach on the other. It's Look great that. to hear you. Dream team. It is. <laughs> and I love listening to you overnight, but Thank you. I'm late in bed, so I never call. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks. You're in today. So what do you got for me? But listen, I want to say that, like, Cashman's been getting killed for the pitching staff. But this is the pitching staff he – this is the batting lineup he based the pitching staff on. He had a bunch of guys that if they went six innings and gave up three runs, We'd be good because we should be up five runs every first inning. Well, yeah. And you saw that last night with Nesta, right? Yep. There's no way Nesta, he let Nesta pitch that rest of that inning if it's a one-run game. But he's got a four-run cushion, a three-run cushion, mm-hmm. and he let him get out of it. Right. So this is just – I think Cashman was really getting killed, but I think this is what he based it on the whole time. And I think we got five weeks, five games to go, right, behind Tampa Bay? It's four now. Well, there we go. So we'll be one game ahead at the end of the day. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. But you know what, though? And, and there's and also, Ruben, great point there. And, and, and think about, one, the Yankees jumping out to the, the, the fast lead, which I talked about in the open. Yeah, this, this, uh, this lineup is finally starting to hit and hit early and get ahead in games, which the pitchers have told you press conference after press conference that, yes, they are a lot comfortable pitching with the lead. And then, of course, there's the trickle-down effect into the bullpen, which is a shaky, shaky, shaky thing for the Yankees at this point in time. Because if your pitcher's going, oh, six innings into a game, seven, dare I say seven innings into a game, then there's really not much room for margin for error for the, the, the bullpen to screw it up. So, like I said, the Yankees have started 14 different pitchers this season, 11 since July 6th. And somehow, collectively, they're getting it done somehow. Staving off opponents, you know, just enough. So the offense, finally, who has kicked it into gear, can can take over. But you're still looking for that game where it's like, okay, 12-0 or something like that. And you had it versus the Twins pretty much last night, and we'll get the turning point in a second. Let's go back to Jimmy in Levittown on the phones there. Jimmy, you're up next on the fan. Good morning, Danielle. How are you today? 
Well, basically, my point is this. I've been an opponent of analytics since this whole fiasco started. And case in point, you know, the last 30 games, the Yankees have punted more. They've run more first to yes. third, putting pressure on the outfield, which, I, you know, I mean, I'm a big fan of that. And, and, and they've hit and run, and, and they've done things where, like, now the pitchers have to worry about what's going on, and then the blast comes. Yes. So I, I, I give the organization credit for actually changing their process yes. and their thought process, getting some lefties in a lineup. And, mm-hmm. uh, like I don't, and, and as Vasquez, I, I don't think, you know, once Glaber comes, I mean, unfortunately, he will either go back to the bench or to the minors, but mm-hmm. he's been a breath of fresh air. And I had this team dead and buried. I'll, I'm going to eat crow. Me too. I thought they were terrible. And, um, but it, it, it's been fun to watch, and I'm just glad that they realize. If you look at the Padres and the Yankees, right, since the All-Star break, both teams are in opposite directions in the first half. The Padres had the most stolen bases the first half. Now they have the least. The Yankees had the least. Now they have the most. And look at the opposite direction. So maybe, maybe baseball, the way it was played for 85 years, does actually work. Have a great day, Danielle. Bye. Jimmy, thanks. You know what, though? I don't. I, I wouldn't say Jimmy eat crow because I was in the same mentality you were, I, basically saying since before this even February. Since February, I've been telling you this: the way that this Yankees lineup is is constructed, it's not sustainable. Right? They were too right-handed heavy. They have too many feaster famine hitters. And although Joey Gallo is one of those feaster famine hitters, you saw it again last night. The famine part. Um, just his presence being in that lineup, we've talked about it, it does not show up on a box score. That's what's most important. You've got left-handed, uh, you know, alternating left-right, left-right, left-right. You've got guys that are running the bases, like you said, Jimmy, running first to third, and that sets up scoring potential. You saw it with Trey Turner last night. Forces himself in, into a scoring position, tagging up on a ball to center field. Ends up scoring. Those are the kind of players that, that manufacture runs. So I wouldn't say eating crow because I would say that the Yankees' mindset and their philosophy changed from half one to half two. And coming up just shortly, um, I did pose that same question to both Garrett Cole and Joey Gallo. Like, what has changed from half one to half two? And I'll get those uh, responses to you guys uh, coming up right after this. So my guess, uh, we just gave away the Yankee uh, turning point of the game and Big Zoo, you're going to tell me if I'm right or wrong here. My guess at the Yankee turning point of the game, it was early. I'm going to guess Judge's two-run home run, bottom of the second, put the game totally out of reach, made it 6 nothing Yankees. Am I right? Let's hear it. Swung on and hit in the air to left field down the line. That ball is high. It is far. It is gone. David John makes long gone. He hits a two-run home run right down the left field line into the seats. Well, LeMahieu two-home runner in the eighth? I mean, I think, all right, fine, good. Good for you if you guessed that because my guess, I mean, I was watching that game, second inning, Aaron Judge puts the ball over the wall, and I'm like, this game is bing, bang, boom, over. Wow, he waited till the eighth inning for the turning point? Sweeney keeps you on your P's and Q's. Oh, man, Sweeney. Wow. <laughs> oh, man. All right, so we've got um, – all right, we'll come back with some of the audio I captured at Yankee Stadium Thursday night. Garrett Cole explaining to me what he sees as the difference between the pre-All-Star game Yankees and the post-All-Star game Yankees. And uh, also Joey Gallo. So don't go 
anywhere. Welcome back to McCartan in the morning. Got some pump-up music for you guys. Maybe you're on your way to Yankee Stadium as we speak or driving on your way. Maybe stuck in traffic, more likely sitting on you know George Washington Bridge or the Cross Bronx. As you may or may not have heard in my open, I have my ideas of how the Yankees have resurrected their season and become the hottest team in all of baseball. Here's Garrett Cole's explanation to my question on the field during Thursday's pregame. Staying a little bit more locked in on every pitch and trying to take care of the details, the things that we can control. Um, stuff that doesn't always show up in the box score, but it can make a difference in the game. Um, so, and, you know, not to mention that guys have performed better and, and uh, found a little bit of their groove. So, combination of both. So, while Garrett Cole was telling me about things that don't show up in a box score, I was standing there looking at him and I was thinking of Joey Gallo because I've said it to you guys right here on this show if, you, if you've been paying attention at all. Take, for instance, Tuesday's game. Game one, doubleheader versus the Red Sox. Just some observations. Joey Gallo was 0 for 3 at the plate, but he did three things that did not show up in the box score. Number one, he forced Alex Cora to take out Garrett Whitlock for a, in favor of a lefty because he hits left-handed. Two, he worked a walk after starting at bat two and two, and he set up Luke Voigt's game-winning hit. And three, oh my God, how many times have we talked about this? Joey Gallo, Tuesday, saved a run with a no-hop, perfect throw home. He's got, what, the fourth best arm among all qualified outfielders? You know I mentioned this at least once a week. Something that Brett Gardner can't do. And some of you guys noticed it. I challenge you. I said to you guys, watch what happens when it's hit to Brett Gardner, how the runners start to take bases on him just because it was hit to him, because his arm is not strong. It happened in what? I think it was the first inning, second inning. The day I got off the air, uh, last uh, what was it, last Saturday. Happened right away. Someone tweeted me, yep, you were right. Hello? Open your eyes to it. I wish we had like a, a full camera where we could see more of the runners, you know, we could probably see better. But you saw it already. And then Judge said in a press conference um, for, for Joey Gallo to come over and to come to this clubhouse and fit in just like this, it's pretty impressive. So, of course, I had to go to the guy on Thursday in Thursday's pregame. He spoke to me, Joey Gallo, more specifically about the mentality of the team. Um, I mean, every day we show up, I think everybody feels like we're going to win that day. Um, and everybody just has that mentality. And um, it's so great to have, like be on a team that's, that, that just wants to win so bad and uh, will do anything to, to win. And we come back in games. We never, we never, we never quit. We're always fighting. So uh, it's, been, it's been just a great experience. This, and and that, sh- that, right there, showing up to the game, expecting to win, is a champion's mindset. Yeah, I said it. A champion's mindset. Okay, back to the calls. 877-337-6666. We've got James in Spring Valley up next on the fan. Hey, Danielle. Thank you for taking my call. And it, it's hard to listen. <laughs> it's hard to listen overnight because, you know, sleep. But I'm glad that you're on in the morning. And hey, wait. I do you can, ask, James, yeah. you have the Odyssey app? You can always rewind it. There's, there, you there can always go. go backwards. There we go. Thank you, Danielle. So here's a question because – 
I'm a Yankee fan, diehard Yankee fan, always love the Yankees. But in the beginning of the season, I thought the Yankees were toast. They were done. Yes. It was over. Like, the, the sky is falling. How could the Yankees be so terrible? Then second half, all of a sudden, the Yankees decided to be like world beaters. So here's the question I have to ask. It's been 12 years since the Yankees been in the World Series. It's been 12 since the Yankees last won the World Series. With the way that they're playing and what you just played, a champion's mindset clip, Mm-hmm. Could this finally be the year when everything seems to be clicking at the right time? Because if any time to be hot, it's now. Right. Do you think this is the time that the Yankees can actually make a deep run in the postseason and get to the World Series, a, a place that they haven't been since 2009? Yeah, James, it's a good question, and thank you for the call there. That That's a good question, and I think that's a question that is on the minds of every Yankee fan, and, and honestly, kind of, sort of, you just heard it, every Yankee player. Championship mindset, Joey Gallo says. They show up expecting to win, expecting to win. With that said, I mean, you look at the teams that they would have to kind of leapfrog in order to get there. The Tampa Bay Rays probably being, you know, most eminent, Right? But when you look at the standings, you've got ahead of the Yankees, the White Sox, the Astros, Brewers, Bucks. I'm going up to, you know, to the best Dodgers and, and, and Giants, in, you know, in terms of uh, winning percentage. Can the, uh, the question was, can the Yankees get to the World Series? I don't know. I don't know just yet. The one, because what keeps popping into my mind and popping into my mind is like the back end of this bullpen, the closer. You can't get to a World Series if your closer is going to give up home runs and, and, and blow games. You know, no lead seems to be comfortable enough for these guys on the back end of the bullpen, honestly. I mean, every time Earldis Chapman gets the ball, you're like, oh boy. You know, the other night, Chapman was pitching, and they had Loisica warming up to close for the closer. So, um, I would say, at this point, I would say No. And I hope I'm wrong, right? I, I like being wrong in these situations. I, I'm going to say no because although the team is hitting, again, they're very streaky. You know, they're playing the Twins. Let's put this in perspective. They Where they've owned the Twins, right? So I'm going to go with no right now because they're a streaky hitting team and they're back into the bullpen, more importantly, is just a big fat red question mark for me. So right now, no. But if the trend continues upward... We're going to have to change that answer to yes, aren't we? Kevin and Camden, you're up next on the fan. What's up, Coach? Kevin! It's McCartan in the midday. I'm digging this. Oh, yeah. I'm digging I forgot this. about that. Okay. Look at the clock. Yeah, 1051. Here we go. Because when Joe and Evan used to be on these, this was like their time slot, and they would always say, you know, Benigo and Robinson in the midday. So I was like, you know what? McCartan in the midday. I like the alliteration. Kind of digging that. <laughs> but I want to, I'm going to be one of the different ones. I'm going to talk about football first because. Yeah. Um, the Giants and Jets, the Giants, I'm not really sure what to make of them. I mean, you know, the offense, I, you know, it seems like the offense improves, but the, the old line didn't. And I'm just, I, there was like, we didn't even draft one. There was like not one person drafted from the old line, which that's the biggest thing because you need to protect Daniel Jones. Well, right. And I they, I still have no faith in Jason Gary. I mean, I'm just. But, I mean, you know, well, I'm going to go with the season and we'll see what makes up the Giants. Yeah, Kevin, and we talked last year, I think, about Jason Garrett, too. It's just, you know, listen, he, he was learning his 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 um, his um personnel, first of all. And then yeah. to have your star running back, your your 
playmaker, your, you know, I hate the word weapon, but Saquon Barkley is he's has game changing ability, right? With one carry of a ball or one catch. Yep. So no, he does. to have him go down so early in the season in that game in Chicago, I mean, you had to really refile all of your thinking and stuff. So as an offensive coordinator, I'm willing to give Garrett one more year, honestly, and with everybody at full strength, I'm I'm, I'm willing to give him another year. I, I think I think he'll be okay. That that's that's fair. That's fair. Um, as far as the Jets, I was going to say I was optimistic about this. See, actually was actually was pretty optimistic. Then I read the news that Lawson went down. Oh, I know. Like, Devastating. That's that's the because he was the best guy in camp. I was yeah. watching camp and he was doing. I was like, oh, and, he, and, and, that, and now. They're gonna to have to really struggle to replace him. So I'm thinking, ah, uh, this 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 does not have a good open. To yeah, me. right. And, and that was <laughs> devastating. I mean, by all accounts, he was having an explosive camp. He was going to be, you know, the guy on the Jets' defense. And um, ruptured Achilles out for the season. It's just devastating. Yeah, it really is. And I want to one last thing. I want to talk about uh, Henrik Lundqvist because he just announced his retirement mm-hmm. a couple days ago. I think the man yesterday. is the best goaltender I've ever seen. And he's he is what you were. I mean, I, I would put him in the same class as like Jeter. Even though, even though he didn't win his second cup, but yeah, he should have because you know we can't. He's close. that kind of player, though. Jeter, he is, Manning. He's been, he's been in right. for a long time. Yep. He's, you know, he set a record: thirteen straight twenty-win seasons by a goalie. I mean, that is a record that is like never going to be matched. The best goaltender I've ever seen, and I'm just, you know, the fact that he spent his entire career in New York, that just adds to his like legend. Right. He is the king of MSG, and he is one of the all, and he's a surefire Hall of Famer. Yep. So I just think that he deserves some props, and he is. Because I remember you a couple months ago, you were talking about New York legends. I think Lundquist is on that list. Of course, he so is. I just felt that he was definitely deserving to be brought up. So, yep, Kevin, and great call there. Yes, um, listen, I am sitting here in a Henrik King Henrik uh, T-shirt right here. <laughs> Big Zoo's giving me a smile and a, and, a, and, a, and a nod. Yeah, you know he he is. I mean, I'm 33. Kevin, I know you're a little younger than me, but he is the best Rangers goalie that we've ever seen. And right on the news of the retirement, we'll talk more a little bit about this, but um, a little bit later, but right on the news of the announcement, um, the Rangers, you know, they basically said, we are going to retire the number 30 in the rafters this upcoming season. And when I got here, Big Zoo, I I know you're a big Rangers fan. We were kind of talking, when I got here, we were kind of talking about you know, when, when, when is it going to happen? And I hadn't really put too much thought into it, but you had a great idea. Tell them. Yeah, you know, honestly, I was I was looking through the teams, and it's it's really difficult because, I mean, you got the rivals. You got everything that's gone into the past career for Henrik Lundqvist, the past 15 years. But honestly, I mean, with the rivalry in division, I think you got to go with the Capitals, man. There's the history there. And, I mean, honestly, we were, we were talking about it, and, I mean, you, you kind of – you kind of confirmed it for me. You were like, wow, that's not a bad move. Yeah, and, and the reason being is because after he left the Rangers, he signed that, what was it, one-year deal, right, with, yep. with the Capitals. And I just was looking up New York Rangers' schedule, 21-22. Guess what? First game of the season. Oh, it's at Washington, though. Oh, that would have been that would have been, been quite perfect. romantic. It wouldn't have been. Oh, let's see. They play Washington. Let me see. Check the date. Maybe you guys want to buy your tickets now for that game. You know, yeah, it's speculation. Yeah, that might be one to get on to a little yeah. bit early. Yep. Uh, Thursday, February 24th versus the Washington Capitals at the Garden. Tickets. That sounds like the perfect day to do it, too. Yeah. Tickets as low as $85. Get on them now. Maybe we could buy up a few and, and – no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> hey, I mean, keep it on the DL, right? Right. 
I think that's a great idea. I think that that's going to be the game because it ties together both, you know, I guess ends of his career perfectly. 15 years with the Rangers, the one-year deal with the, the Capitals. It's perfect. Yeah, and it gives the Caps a little moment, too. They get to be there for the guy that, you know, unfortunately, mm-hmm. they never got to have as a teammate. So, I mean, mm-hmm. you kind of help everybody out. Yep. Great idea. So, Thursday, February, February 24th. You heard it here first, everybody. <laughs> um, and, and by the way, he told us, this is Henrik Lundqvist, he told a Swedish newspaper that he's going to need another heart procedure, just so everybody knows. So, we'll talk a little bit more about that. Um, can we get to, yeah, let's do one more. Uh, let's go Tito and Newark. You're up next on the fan. Hey, how are you? How you doing? What's up, Tito? I keep checking out on the Yankees lineup. Mm-hmm. And I, and I'm a Sanchez. I like Sanchez. I know not everybody likes him. But he's streaking. Uh, I know he just came back from COVID. But I keep seeing that. Are they platooning him now with Higashi? Higashioka? <laughs> um, <laughs> I don't know what the plan is for Gary Sanchez, honestly. I mean, I would have dealt him at the deadline, but that's just me. Um, you you see that Higashioka, like guys like Garrett Cole and Corey Kluber, people didn't yeah. really notice that, but Corey Kluber threw his no-hitter to guess who? Kyle Higashioka. They are are opting for Higashioka as a defensive catcher behind the plate. So I guess technically yeah, that I, might I, I be the word I, platoon. I, I, uh, caught him the, the other day too. Who did? I'm sorry? Yeah, um, Higi- I can't even pronounce his name. Higiapcha, whatever <laughs> He, he caught Tyoon the other day as well. Oh, right? Higashioka, yeah. He caught Tyoon too. Um, I wonder, though, of the timing of that. Was Gary Sanchez back yet reinstated? Yeah, I'm he not was. sure. He was. He was active. He was active. So okay. Uh, he's been back. He's been on one game, off one game. I'm like, play the kid. Yeah, well, Tito, and thanks for the call there. I do know that the Yankees, uh, especially with players that are coming back from injury and back from COVID and, you know, Rizzo, the whole thing, right? I know that Boone has said that he is trying to ease in those guys back into the lineup. So whether it's, you know, catching a game, I know because I did it in the Carton Roberts uh, softball game not not too long ago. I've never been a catcher my whole entire life, obviously, and I'm not a professional athlete, but catching is really um, physically draining, (laughs) be honest with you. And in a hot day, hot environment, humid. So I don't know that I would say platooning, in that sense, but when you look at the pitchers that prefer to pitch to Higashioka, you know, the pitchers that can say that and that can influence that decision, I mean, you got Cole and Kluber were, were one and two in that in that rotation. And now since Kluber's gone, it's like really Tyone is has been a really great pitcher. And again, Higashioka, I don't know. But if it's me, I would prefer to pitch to Higashioka as well. And it's not like he's a, I mean, he's he's a huge drop-off at the plate. He hits for some power. He gets on base. He's not fast, but neither is Gary Sanchez. So def, the de, by the definition of platooning, I would say no, but based on the preference of the pitching staff, I guess I would say, I guess I would say yeah. But Gary Sanchez, I would have dealt him. Welcome back to Danielle in the Daytime here on The Fan. Well, Ken... We're going to open this hour with a can the New York Jets catch a freaking break, man. Wowee, Carl Lawson, who by all accounts, we just talked about it a little bit, majorly successful training camp, an absolute standout, a dynamic player, was expected to be the Jets' lead rusher, ruptured his Achilles in a joint practice with the Packers on Thursday. August 18th, done for the season, brutal. 
You guys know only TJ Watt produced more quarterback hits than Lawson last season, which that three-year, $45 million deal with the Jets was looking real good on paper at that point. So what are the Jets going to do? What should they do? Well, uh, three things, and we'll get to your calls right after this, 877-337-6666. You know, it's kind of hard to predict right now, sitting here on on the 21st of August, because, uh, you know, A, I took a quick little perusal through the available free agents at that position last night, and really not one player really jumped off the page at me. So, mm. And then B, the Jets, I don't think, are going to make a trade for one at this juncture especially because the playoffs aren't exactly, you know, in the cards for them this season really at all. I mean, that, that if they were expected to make the playoffs, I could that's a different story, but but they're not. If they make the playoffs, if the Jets make the playoffs, it'll be like a hey, that's cool. I don't think they're going to, but I'm just saying. So so strategy-wise, I'm talking. If they were expected to make the playoffs, I think they would make a trade. But so that leaves the answer C. I just think that they're going to rely on the players that are already listed on that on their roster. The good news is this. Robert Sala, he can figure it out. And how do I know that? Well, he's already done it while he was with the 49ers. Remember when the studs on his defense, like Nick Bosa, Solomon Thomas, Richard Sherman, among others, all went out with injuries? Well, the 49ers still finished fifth in total defense, fourth in passing defense. So they'll be all right, considering the realistic expectations placed upon them this season. It sucks, but they'll be all right, and he'll be back the the following year. And they've got C.J. Mosley back, which he has opted out last year and didn't play in 2019. So, you know, it's it's almost like kind of like a switch, Aroo. I know you don't want to hear that, Jeff fans, but you're getting Mosley back, the, the captain of your defense. So we'll see what happens. Okay, let's go to Ralph in Manhattan. Ralph, you're on the fan. Danielle, I'm recognizing a trend in Major League Baseball. I want to run it by you. Which is? They're actually, they're actually playing baseball once again. Now, I say that because yes. what they were doing for, or what they have been doing for many years is some sort of a watered-down version of the game where you either hit the ball out of the ballpark or you go sit in the dugout and wait for your next turn. Mm-hmm. I, see, I see real baseball coming back. And the Mets have not recognized that as a franchise as of yet. They're still playing in the Stone Age of the uh, you know the early 2000s and the later 2000s, and playing that same game. You know, you have singles hitters and doubles hitters trying to hit the ball out of the ballpark, mm-hmm. and that's why they can't score any runs. If they would kind of um, take the trend that that's happening and go forward. I think you'd see a much better baseball team because they are anemic when it comes to putting runs on the board. It is pathetic. And you can't even watch the games because they're so damn boring because the brand of baseball they're playing is not conducive to sitting there for three hours watching a baseball game. Um, Ralph, nailed it. Yes. And as you were talking, I know you're a Mets fan, so as you were talking, I was thinking of, I mean, no better than, than Jeff McNeil. I mean, right? I mean, Jeff McNeil is is in the midst of a like catastrophic like slide, right? Jeff McNeil is a player that is not hitting within himself. Jeff McNeil, he's not a power hitter. This season, he's got six home runs. That's it. Six. I mean, 2019 looks like it's the outlier of the data. I'm looking at it. 23 home runs in 2019, but he had three the year before that, four the year after that, and this year six. So if Jeff McNeil can like 
I'm tired of seeing how, how the frustrated Jeff McNeil, the F-bomb dropping Jeff McNeil every time he strikes out. I'm just tired of seeing it. Like, the guy needs a sports psychologist more than anything, I think, at this point in time. And I like Jeff McNeil, the player. The player that got on base, went first to third, bunted, hit for average, lined gap to gap. That's the Jeff McNeil that, that I like to watch. And I don't know. I mean, he's got... He's, I don't know. I just think that, yeah, it's tired. It, the trend in baseball of it's it's a tired trend of watching home run or strikeout. It's like like a home run derby. I wrote down as you were talking. It's like home run derby. I'm tired of watching it. Yet now, I mean, look at the Yankees. You've got players that are not afraid. Not afraid. They should do it more, but they're not afraid to drop down a bunt if the the defense is shifting on them. That's good baseball. And Tyler Wade, I mean, why is that guy buried at the bottom of the order every single time that that he's 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 in it? I mean, you got Brett Gardner batting second. Why? Tyler Wade's batting two sixty nine this season, believe it or not, and he's buried at like ninth in the order. So yeah, that's a guy that steals bases that that you know takes that extra base is not afraid to lay down a bunt. So that's I'm excited. In other words, I'm excited to see that trend returning. And uh, just as I did that, we've got a, a Yankee lineup for the Saturday matinee in the Bronx. DJ LeMay, who's leading off, playing second. Batting second, playing first base back is Anthony Rizzo. Batting third in center field, center field, Aaron Judge. Batting fourth, cleanup in right field, Giancarlo Stanton. Batting fifth, that is, third base, Rugnet Odor. DHing uh, is Luke Voigt, followed by the shortstop Velasquez Squid. You got Kyle Higashioka behind the plate with Garrett Cole on the mound. Not a surprise there. And oh my God, there's Tyler Wade buried at the bottom of the order again in the nine hole. See? Told you. Case in point. Wade should be moved up in that order. I'm telling you. Let's go to North Arlington, New Jersey. James, you're on the fan. Uh, it's great to hear you on the air. I mean, you just uh, summed up some of the things I want to talk about. Awesome. But, uh, well, what you talked about what the Yankees are doing, are doing, obviously, they must have had a meeting and they decided that the only way to win was to go back to some old ball, But what, what, which is which is proven correct. You can't win all, only on home runs, even with all the home run headers the Yankees had. But what I wanted to bring up about the Mets, and I haven't heard any caller talk about, is that Cohen bought the team. And I guess his first year, he, he was going to take it easy, but he really needs to clean house. And I think that, unfortunately, it, it, with, with the Mets, it's like, like, like if you take over an organization, like a, even an accounting firm or, or something, sometimes you have to get like all new employees. And I talk about not just the general manager and the coach and the scouts. I'm talking about the whole building. I, I mean, that might sound kind of rude, but you, you really need – he needs to really – do what he would probably do at a brokerage company where he would bring in, he would actually interview every single person that's worked for him and have a new, new, new York Nets team that is void of the past and take it from there. And I don't think that is that outlandish. I haven't heard anybody really talk about that. All they ever bring up is, is basically, uh, you know, the general manager and the coach, but you got to do more than that to basically have, you could keep the announcers either on, uh, on, on TV, you want to get rid of the announcers now, too. No, James, I know, I know what you're saying. No, no, but, you could you could keep that, but, but, but because actually, oh I think that they hinted this. I, I think sometimes when they're doing the games, 
I mean, even John Sterling for the Yankees, who's a real homer, he, he was nagging the Yankees about not being able to get a base hit. And that had to really resonate, I think. And we'll never know about the private meetings. But I, I like your thought on that. And just real quick about Lundquist. There's no doubt that, that, that he was a great goaltender. Unfortunately, the Rangers didn't have the right kind of team to win, but we always forget about Marty Bedore. And, and, and just because the Devils had a great defense, he was some goaltender. Remember, they changed mm-hmm. the rules for him. They, they, took, they changed the line for the goaltender not to be able to go into the corners. And I know, I know that this, you know, he just re- retired. He was a great player. But we never bring up Bedore, and he is part of the New York scene, even though they play in Jersey. Yeah. Okay. Listen, James. Yes, I, I, I get you on, on Brodor. Sure, but he didn't retire yesterday, and Lundqvist did. So there's that. But uh, the one thing I would say about uh, Cohen, and I know um, I want to talk about this a little bit later. Um, I just, I'm, I'm going to question his ability to make those decisions in a way, right? Because, and we'll get coming up right after the break here. But I did want to mention that the tweet that that came out criticizing the Mets in, in, in three offensive metrics. Well, Steve Cohen, you went out and your big trade deadline acquisition was Javier Baez. When Chris Bryant was right there on the table for you. And, and if you're a fan of the show, you know that I wanted Chris Bryant well before the trade deadline, gave you all, I spelled out X, Y, and Z, Y. And then he still went out and got Javier Baez, strikeout king, Etc. Cetera, Etc. Cetera. So the decision that you made to choose one player over the other, I mean, it fits the narrative of the Mets and why you're so frustrated with them. If that makes sense. So I don't know if that's a good sound baseball decision. I know Sandy Alderson's and, and you got acting GM, the acting in quotes acting GM Zach Scott in charge. But ultimately, Steve Cohen, you're the one that okay's or doesn't okay. Which players come to your team and which players vacate your team? So, bringing Javier Baez, I'm gonna. That's a huge question mark. That's a huge question mark. And so, I'm gonna be a little bit critical about that because Javier Baez was not the right guy for the job. And my message to you, Steve Cohen, you need to stay off Twitter. Because if you're, if you're going to continue to tweet disparaging things about the players on your field and on your payroll, it's just a terrible look. It's a bad precedent to set for owners of all sports teams that maybe they free agents don't want to come and play for you now. We'll talk about that and your calls coming up next. Welcome back to Danielle in the daytime, McCartan in the midday, McCartan in the morning, whatever you guys want to call it. I'm loving it. Glad you guys are too. I got a tweet before I get into Steve Cohen and my criticism of him. I got a tweet from uh, John Monaco. He goes, Coach McCartan, I'm glad you're not the Yankees GM. Sanchez, top five catcher in MLB. Here we go with the love affair with Gary Sanchez. So on that break, I looked at, and and I didn't do a deep dive. Like it takes time, you know, but I looked into batting average of like catchers that had like 90 plate appearances or more. Buster Posey is the best. Pulecki's next. Stevenson from Cincinnati, Narvez from uh, Milwaukee, Perez from KC. These are all guys higher than Gary Sanchez, by the way. Barnhart from Cincinnati. It looks like they platoon out, out there in Cincinnati. Will Smith in uh, in LA, Romuto, uh, Molina. Even James McCann is hitting better than Gary Sanchez's 218 batting average. So I don't know where you get this. That's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Skip a few. 
10 players at least that are better than Gary Sanchez in terms of batting average. You look at um, catcher frame rate. Sanchez is 46th in the league in catcher frame rate. And he's got six pass balls so far this season, and he's been out too. So he's got six pass balls. Mm, right? I mean, come on. Top five catcher. Stop falling in love with Gary Sanchez, dude. Trade him. Trade him. And by now, I know you've seen the Steve Cohen tweet, the tweet read around the world. Steve Cohen clearly unhappy with his team's performance, warmed up his Twitter fingers, tapped out this message the other day. It's hard to understand how professional hitters can be this unproductive. The best teams have a more disciplined approach. The slugging and OPS numbers don't lie. Well, Hugh Quattlebaum, he responded by telling the media, every single night, every day, all of us on this staff, myself as much as anybody, we're going to back to do everything we can to see what we can do as better as a group. Obviously, we want to put up as many runs as possible every day. Luis Rojas then said, we all have to be held accountable for this team's performance. I think the players are very vulnerable. They come in here and they say that they're frustrated. Some of them feel that they're underperforming and they're working really hard. He doesn't single out one player or one coach. That's important. But in my opinion, regardless if Steve Cohen is right or not, it is simply not a good look. I mean, how do you go into the clubhouse and deliver a rousing message of support and then days later tweet this criticism for the world to see? It's one, it's terrible for morale. And two, it's terrible. It's a terrible culture to set up in order to attract these big-name free agents. I mean, who would want to work for a boss that is not afraid to call out your poor performance for literally the world to see? I know I wouldn't want to run that risk. And things are on the internet forever. It's going to follow you. And let me see, how could Steve Cohen even complain about having a more disciplined approach at the plate? He traded for one of the most undisciplined players in the league, strikeout king Javier Baez, who repaid him with a platinum sombrero. I didn't even know that existed. I'm going to be really honest with you. A platinum sombrero for Javier Baez. And also, for what it's worth, if you remember my graphic before and after the trade deadline, Chris Bryant was right there. He's got a lower strikeout percentage, a higher slugging percentage, and a higher OPS. Three things that Steve Cohen pointed out in that tweet. So swing and a miss. Try again, Cohen. That is a terribly look, terrible look. And it's also terribly timed because why would you tweet that? It's like psychology of like coaching in a way. Why would you tweet that in the middle of the toughest stretch of the schedule that your team has this season? Because when you say things like that, it has a major potential to backfire and then landslide, and then free fall, like I played for you in the open. If you're going to send it at all, which I recommend not sending something like that, do it during the Marlins season uh, series. Allow your team to rally around, build momentum after, hopefully, beating a bad team. Not dig them further down with the losses against literally the league's two best teams. So, swing and a miss, Steve Cohen. Frank and White Plains, you're up next on The Fan. Great show. I tell you, you just said what I want to say, but I'm going to say something else. Tell me. You know something? This guy, owner of the Mets, I'm telling you what he should do is he should never hire, what's his name, uh, Wolfgang guy. Alderson. Uh, Sandy, yeah. Allison. Sandy Allison is a Wolfgang guy. He's, he will never win any champion with him in there. Another thing is, they bring Lindor here. There was enough headache. But just all he's got, he smiles here from here and nothing else. Mm-hmm. What he proved for New York Mets, nothing. 
Now, they bring the guy, another guy, because Lindor said, hell, I want to play with Baez. Right. Now they both having a fun on IL. Yes. This is ridiculous. This is disgusting. He got nothing to complain. You are right, Daniel. He got nothing to complain about Steve Cohen, just himself. Right. Should go did the him. He should go to uh, Brian Cashman and learn how to run a, a, a baseball team. You know, that's what he should do. And can I say something? I will listen to you. I'm a diehard Giant fan mm-hmm. and New York Giants. Mm-hmm. And I'm telling you, only guy who police they have an offensive line. It's uh, German and nobody else. Yeah. He's ridiculous too, you know. Yeah. Thank you very much for listening to me. Have a great day. Oh, Frank, thanks for the call. Yeah, and and talking about the offensive line, that is the biggest weakness of the New York football Giants this season. It's going to be the offensive line. Everything, I mean, I think the Giants legitimately have a top five defense in the league based on their performance last year. Everything. I think, and and the growth of their young players, I, I really think that the Giants have a top five defense in the league. The offense... That's a question mark because, like, who was I talking to the other day about this? Somebody. I was talking to one of my friends about this that, you know, the Giants, you know, they have all the pieces, like, now. Now they have all the pieces around, but, like, the offensive line, you can't get anything going if your offensive line stinks. You can't run through holes if your offensive line stinks if you're Saquon Barkley. A collapsing pocket around Daniel Jones is not going to get the ball into Kenny Galladay's hands at 40 yards downfield. So, and compound that with the fact that they didn't address it in the draft. I don't know. That That's a big question mark for me. I, it, it, it was when it happened. I was like, wait a second. How do they not address this? They're going to just keep rolling out the same guys out there? I mean, I guess they are. You're looking at, uh, I'm looking right now at the Giants depth chart on the Giants.com. You got starting right tackles, Matt Part, Parrot, I should say. Right guard is Will Hernandez. Nick Gates in the center. Left guard, Shane Lemieux. Left tackle, Andrew Thomas. That doesn't scare me, honestly. That offensive line combination. Let's go Ben in Queens. You're up next on the fan. Morning there, Coach. What's up, Ben? Well, uh, two quick things that are not on my docket. First, uh, thank you, Henrik. Folks may forget, but been to Stanley Cup. He literally carried us to a Stanley Cup. Mm-hmm. And played well in the Stanley Cup, deserved better. We just couldn't score. Damn it, L.A. Anyway, <laughs> and um, for, for you, four games left for your girl. Yep, Carly Lloyd. Well, more, though, because she's got four games left with the, uh, the women's national team. And yeah. then she's got a few with the, um, the New York, New Jersey team that she plays on here at Red Bull Arena. So she's got a few more than four, but yeah. But, but, but thank you. Carly, thank you. And if anybody forgets that World Cup final versus Japan, shame on you. That was possibly one of the most amazing athletic experiences I've ever witnessed live. Mm -hmm. Now, we get to my Yanks, and and it's funny. It's funny how the Yanks and Mets switch places uh, from, from the end of May. Because at the end of May... It was blood, the Mets on the right direction, bloodthirstiness towards Cashman, uh, the, the, the Yanks aren't doing all the little things. Why can't we be more like the Mets? And you just had the caller a couple things ago say, well, why can't the, the Mets front office be the Yanks? So I'm finding that amazing. And I point to 
One thing, one thing. Coach interviewed Frazier. Since then, <laughs> it's been a total turnaround. So uh, you got a lucky rabbit's foot in, 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 in your pocket there because just keep it going. Um, it, it, it's just funny. It's just funny. And you know what? I didn't even realize the Tyler Wade thing until you brought it up. Mm-hmm. Because I'm still, I was still under the pressure. He was, oh, he's still 089. Nope. And, 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 no. But, but if I look back at a couple of these games, especially the Boston series, Tyler Wade killed them. <laughs> they, couldn't, they couldn't get him off the bases. And it seems every time he got on the base, that... that He's stealing that, it, another one. Yeah, so, you know what, Tyler, thank you. You know, let, let, let's just keep the good vibes going. And I'm knocking on wood and burning incense every day that Stanton doesn't get hurt. <laughs> that's, that's it. Yeah, they, I know. They're, they're, but, Coach, congrats. The interviews have looked awesome. Thanks, Ben. And we'll speak again. All right, Ben. Thanks for the call. And we got um, uh, two more coming up uh, later today in full. The full Garrett Cole interview and the full Joey Gallo interview will be up on the uh, on the WFN uh, uh, Facebook channel and um, on Twitter, all over social media. Okay. But the one thing I do want to say is this: Andrew Thomas, by the way, getting back to the Giants' offensive line, he posted the Giants' best offensive pro football focus grade, seventy six. Miraculously, Andrew Thomas. No pressures allowed in 11 pass-blocking attempts. Pretty good versus the Jets. Um, Matt Parrott allowed a sack. But Will Hernandez had the best overall pass-blocking grade, 81.2. Some things to look at. Compare it against other offensive linemen. You know, that's the thing. It's like the Giants are, like, good enough at being, like, mediocre. And that's that's not good enough to win games. Let's go, Justin and Dobbs Ferry. You're up next on the fan. Good morning, Danielle. How are you? Great. How are you? Congrats on the morning spot. Thanks for taking my call. Thanks. Thanks for making it. Uh, I'm I'm with you on the Yanks as far as the bullpen is concerned. They're going to the bullpen for the Yanks. It's like going to the dentist, not having brush your teeth and hoping you don't get a cavity. You don't know what's going to happen. I mean, <laughs> they're just. You know, yeah. guys like Chad Green, who used to be able to count on, he hasn't gotten a big out in a big spot in forever. Yep. Chapman, we don't know where he's at. Yep. Um, Britain. You know, Loisega. Britain. It's like. Yeah, I mean, you know, when you opened the show talking about all those starters, I was like, maybe we should just let the starters pitch and keep the bullpen guys out of the room. I mean, that's my of, mentality. Why don't? Why yeah. is a pitcher yanked? They're pitching in, good. I know. Why are they yanked in the fifth inning? Third time through the yeah. order, I get the whole thing. But like, there's no signs of struggle. You keep them in. There's no. Just keep them in. I. I you know, the, the whole thing with the pitch count, facing guys more than three times. I know. That's why you don't show your whole arsenal. I mean, that's pitching. right. You know, that's the art of pitching. Right. And Jacob you know, Degrom, he does it better than anybody. He he go he doesn't show the full arsenal until like until the third time through the order. Come on. Yeah, he's he's a freak, and he can throw 100 miles an hour the whole time. Yep. Which is even more amazing. Um, I you know, the lineup seems to be you know obviously you throw Rizzo and Gallo into any lineup and you're going to change things, but mm-hmm. I, I'm wondering if the clubhouse didn't begin to change. When they got Odor, because it seemed like when they got Odor and they were playing these young guys, they got a little life in them. You yes. know, Odor, you know, he's not, you know, he's not Babe Ruth. Right. Okay. But he's tough and he does things right. 
and he's kind of like a, you know, he's kind of like a spark plug. Yes. I mean, you know, and you know, you know, he's going to battle, you know, he's going to go to war for your team. And I wonder if he hasn't had an impact on the clubhouse inside as much as Gallo and Rizzo have had on the lineup. Mm-hmm. Um, but as far as, you know, I think the barometer for the Yanks the rest of the way is going to be how they play against playoff teams, teams that are in first place, what their record is. And, you know, the stats don't lie. They played that game in, in you know, the Field of Dreams game, which is the game of the year yes. so far for Major League Baseball. Mm-hmm. You know, they they had a lead. They lost it, they, or rather they came back from a, from a de- huge deficit. They had the lead. They couldn't hold it. And then you go just less than a week later, we're playing the Red Sox in a doubleheader, and we don't have to play that eighth and ninth inning. And it makes you wonder, well, are we good enough to beat the Red Sox in nine innings in a doubleheader? Uh, you know, I, I'm, the book is still open to me. Yeah. I, 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 don't, I don't have faith in the bullpen yep. the way we used to. Yep. I know a lot of teams have that problem, but, you know, we fixed the lineup. I mean, they're going to have a lot of questions in the offseason. Who's going to play where? Who's going? Who's staying? Right. Well, you know, right, exactly. But... And the logjam that Stanton's contract creates. Yes. But other than that, if we don't straighten out the ball, I, I don't know how. You know, I don't know what the answer is right now because there's yeah. no more availability. You can't trade for anybody. Right. You can't. You and, and Justin Dixon called it. You can't at this point, and, and you hit on it, and I hit on it too earlier. The bullpen is the biggest question mark for the Yankees moving forward. You can't change the complexion of the bullpen. The pitchers that you have are the pitchers that you're going to ride or die with. And when you look at who's going to close games for the Yankees, is it Chapman? Is it Loisega? Is it is it um, uh, Green? I mean, is it any of these guys? It's a fluid situation. Is it Britain? I mean, right now, you know, you got to just think about the, the mentality. I mean, these guys clearly have the stuff. It's just a matter of repetition, trusting their stuff. Matt Blake was on with me, what, two weeks ago? You know, getting getting these pitchers back to the, the, the point where they can trust their stuff, and that's his job. And and on the Odor point, you know, I, 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 next time, if, if I get to go again to the Yankee game, if I have time to go to, again to the Yankee game, I'm going to ask that question because it's a good point. Rugnet Odor, the acquisition of Rugnet Odor, I mean, I get there, when I go to those games, I get there at 2.45 in the afternoon. I am in that press box. I am watching what's going on, and I will tell you that of the three times that I've been there this season within the past month, there are always two guys that are out there taking ground balls. The three times that I've been there. Tyler Wade and Rugnet Odor. And they're taking ground balls all over the diamond. Fielding practice. And a guy like Rugnet Odor, I mean, he, the guy's just a gamer, man. He's a gamer. Hey, can you play third base today? Coach, I never played third base, but I'll do it for you. Guy's a gamer. So, you know what? If I do get a chance, um, I, I, I will. I will dig deeper on that. And uh, coming up, since they play today, too, I'm going to tell you quickly what I'm looking for in the Jets-Packers game. And if you want to tell me what you're looking for, 877-337-6666 is the number to do so. I feel like I'm in DJs. Can I get some napkins to throw, everybody? You're listening to Danielle in the daytime, McCartney in the midday, whatever you want to call it. Maybe you're on your way to the Yankee game. Good for you. Awesome. Or maybe you're a Jet fan wondering what's gonna, what it's going to look like against the Packers later today. Well, you know, as you know, the Jets have been in Green Bay doing some joint practices with the Packers. 
Um, it's going to culminate, obviously, in the preseason game later today from Lambeau. So what am I looking for in this game? Well, know it now, right off the bat, the Packers are not expected to play their starters. Keep that in mind. And though Robert Sala said that his starters will play more series than last week. Good. Last week, so here's what I'm looking for from Zach Wilson. Last week he threw for 63 yards, two series, no touchdowns, though. The one drive ended in a field goal. I want to see a touchdown drive from Zach Wilson against the Packers BCD team, whatever's out there. I want to see a touchdown drive. It's not the A team. It should happen. And then did you see Wednesday? The Jets on social media posted a picture of Zach Wilson and Aaron Rodgers, both wearing their red jerseys, talking on the sideline during the joint practice. And then Rodgers is gesturing with an open hand towards some point on the field. And Wilson, based on his cheekbones, on his profile, Looks as though he's smiling, left hand on his hip. So I asked you guys, what is number 12 telling number two? To me, it looked like Simba and Mufasa. You can go anywhere the light touches. But your social media responses were great, too. If you, if you can't get through, it's eight seven I mean, at 877-337-6666. If you can't get through, at Coach M-C-C-A-R-T-A-N, Facebook.com slash Coach McCartan. So, one, I want to see Zach Wilson engineer a touchdown drive. And two, we talked about it a little bit. How are the Jets going to game plan and scheme to, air quotes, replace Lawson on that defensive line? And then three, Jets pass protection. Because offensive coordinator LaFleur, he called out Mekhi Becton saying he isn't playing his best football. Yikes. And that old shot in the arm hasn't helped either. Because during the joint practices, the Jets offensive line, Wednesday, allowed seven sacks to the Packers. Thursday allowed five sacks to the Packers. So maybe number 12 was telling number two, run for your life. I don't know. But remind me, haven't we seen this story before? A rookie Jets quarterback with poor pass protection running for his life. Remind me, have we seen this before? Back to the calls, 877-337-6666. Dominic in East Rochester. You're up on the fan. Rochester, sorry. Hello, Danielle. What's up? Hi, I don't think we've spoken before, but uh, Eddie told me that I don't have to play so, uh, slow pitch with you, that I can play hardball with you. Oh, yeah. Hard, hardball it is. Let's do it. Uh, listen, I'm 69 years a Yankee fan, and here we go. Uh, hottest team since the All-Star break. Yep. Uh, 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 you know, playing fabulous baseball, pitching, hitting, running, and yet here I am. I have a concern, and I have a gripe. Okay. So I'll do my concern first. Maybe you'll let me get to the gripe. You'll probably from me after the gripe. But my, my, one of the things that has done this for us the last month that you may have touched on, but mm-hmm. I don't think it's talked enough about, uh, talked enough about we're running, Danielle. Yes, yes, we talked running, about it. Greg running, Allen, Tyler Wade, Squid Velasquez. Yes. Allen started it. Yes. We are running. we not just stealing, taking the extra base. Yes, first, first third. to third. You know, even that goofy third base coach we got is finally waving guys in. Although, know, the, although he did wave Sanchez home the other night, Phil Nevin, and he's a great guy, by the way, but he waved Sanchez okay, home last yeah. night, and I was like, what the heck is he doing, man? Uh, yeah, Sanchez belongs on the Red Sox, please. Let's not go, let's not go on with Sanchez. 
you know, the worst catcher, 69 years, worst catcher I've ever seen in Yankees. <laughs> but anyway, yep. it's running. You know, we're not hitting that much more since uh, after the All-Star break, before the All-Star break. Dominic, wait. Dominic, let me stop you right there because that is a question I posed to Garrett Cole. It's going to be on the social media channels. I hope you follow them because I said to him, I said, Garrett Cole, I looked at, in my own bedroom, looked at 10 different offensive metrics and not one of them is glaringly better after the uh, All-Star break than it was before the All-Star break. Can you please explain it to me? Yes. Except the running. Except Except the running. Except the running. All right, here's my gripe, Danielle. I've been a Cashman guy for years and years. He's lost me this year. Me too. With the analytics, I mean, I just can't take it anymore. But, you know, we got these pictures that uh, 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 Cortez yes. and uh, and uh, the kid, uh, no, he, who's the other kid? The, Haney? They got the, Andrew Haney? They, no, not Haney. The young kid that came out of no place. Luis Hill. Uh, that's it. Yeah. It starts with a J. Or a yes, D. yes. But, you know, my gripe with Cashman, who I think has been a terrible uh, uh uh, evaluator of pitching over the years. Yeah, where were these guys? We, 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 we why, why did we have these guys buried? Why weren't these guys pitching from day one? Seriously. Yeah. You know, so they say, well, they didn't know what they had. Well, it's their job to know what they had. <laughs> that's true. Yes. You're you right. Know? So the, the, that's why I would Cashman. I, I got to burn my saddle uh, over Cashman, and now. Uh, uh, my, I didn't finish my concern. My concern is, as the regular guys come back, Gio Torres, who I love, mm-hmm. you know, I know he's having a bad year. You know, are we going to get away from the running and go back to our slogging around the bases? Yeah, I, I, that's a that's a major concern for me too. Because you saw it with the Mets. The Mets were in this same spot, right? They had all the young guys coming up and playing and everything, and all of a sudden all the, the big guys started coming back, and it got away from this. I hope that it doesn't. But I did notice, though, I did notice that uh, Glaber Torres was running a, a bunch more than he had been. I, I, it's been noticeable for him, so we'll see. Well, let me tell you about Torres, who I love. I think he has an MVP bat. So they got to well, get somebody in there to figure out what's wrong with this guy. Yeah. Because thing is wrong with Torres. And people talk about trading him, which would be a huge mistake. Well, Dominic, I did. I did talk about trading him because you know why? And and I'll let you go here because I want you to hear the answer. So the problem I see with Glaber Torres is this. The guy's not a shortstop. Right, he, he's he's not. He's just not a major league. Short. I know he came up as one, the whole thing, right? But he's not a major league shortstop. So the reason why I was going to um, trade Glaber Torres at the trade deadline is because when you look at the complexion of this team, there really isn't a, a real spot for him. Because here, think about it. Go, let's go first base. First base, you got you now have two guys that can play first base in Rizzo. And, and Luke Voigt is doing everything that he possibly can to make you forget about Anthony Rizzo. Okay, that's some very healthy competition from within. Very healthy. You got second base. You got DJ LeMayhew. I think he – I didn't look at his stats, but in the back of my mind, I know that he's best when he plays second base. So just right there, you're like, okay, well, Gleyber Torres is a second baseman. So where does he fit in with this? At shortstop, I think the Yankees are going to go spending this offseason at shortstop. And then at third base, you got Urshela. And then you got Wade – and Odor as as the two guys that kind of just can fill in wherever. So I think defensively, 
Glaber Torres is not cutting it. And I think, I can almost bet that it's carrying over into his offensive game. And it's just it's just a mindset. It's just a mentality. And, and, and also, too, he also, like Jeff McNeil, got away from the type of hitter that he is. He's gap-to-gap, base-stealing, you know, batting and put the ball into play sort of hitter. And then all of a sudden, he thinks he's he's Babe Ruth reincarnated. I mean, that's that's something that needs to be discussed with Glaber Torres moving forward. Then you might see an uptick in him. But until then, Dom, I got to be honest, Dom, I was, I was one of those people that wanted to trade him. And then you look at how many years left of arbitration he has on his contract, and you're like, oh, well, that's why Brian Cashman is still trying to make this fit. And co- compile that with uh, compound that with the fact that Hal Steinmeier doesn't want to exceed the next luxury tax threshold, which it seems in the next CBA that they they might be renegotiating that. So stay tuned. You know, if you're a Yankee fan, stay tuned. And as far as Luis Heal, I'm looking at kind of his path to the New York Yankees this season. I mean, started with the Dominican Summer League in 2015, Staten Island Yankees you know, Somerset Patriots. So this season, he went from the Somerset, Somerset Patriots to the Scranton Rail Riders to the Yankees in one season. Talk about development. I mean, really. Welcome back to Danielle in the Daytime here on The Fan. We are cool for the summer. Demi Lovato, great song. I love this song. Love it. If you're on the way to the Yankee game, good for you. Enjoy the game. We've got John and Susan's uh, pregame show coming up at 1225 here on The Fan. Yankees are looking to make uh, mincemeat, more mincemeat, out of the, the Minnesota Twins, that is. And just listen, you guys, two sports legends in and around our city have announced their retirements. Listen, since the last time in a week, we've got two major retirements. The first, New Jersey's own world champion, Carly Lloyd. When you talk about career longevity of living legends like Tom Brady, who's 44, make sure you include Carly Lloyd, who's 39, in that sentence, too. To me, she's the greatest women's soccer player of all time. Four-time Olympian, blah, 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 right? You know, like, it's just a resume unlike any other. Or, you know, two two gold medals, one bronze, two-time World Cup champion, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, right? So congrats, Carly, on a world-class career. And I come to you sitting in my... Henrik Lundqvist, King Lundqvist t-shirt. He's retiring from hockey, as you guys have heard yesterday. He posted it on Instagram. He said, it's time for the last 30 years I have devoted my life to the game of hockey. It's now time to walk away from the game that I love and to begin a new chapter. He then talked about the 15 years of butterflies that he had every time he took the ice in the greatest city in the world. Our city, you guys. So when he made that announcement about the heart surgery, you guys know if you're a fan of the show that we... uh, we talked about how it was probably going to be it regardless. It's official now, and he told the Swedish newspaper Friday that he's going to need another heart surgery. So health over hockey always. And obviously the Rangers have said that they've announced a game where his, his, his number will be retired. We don't know the game just yet. Big Zoo and I were talking about how it should be the game versus the Capitals because that's, you know, he signed the one-year deal, whatever, but – he never took the ice for them. So I think that would be like a nice little neat bow. 15 years with the Rangers, a season that really didn't get to happen with the Capitals. Um, I, I looked it up, that game at the Garden. Maybe you want to put it on your calendar. I don't know. That game looks like it's going to be, uh, I think, the perfect game to do it. And it'll be, like, I think, February 
24th, I think it was, or 26th or something like that. So the one thing is just too bad he didn't get a chance to win a cup during his illustrious career. But King Henrik, Carly Lloyd, best of luck in retirement. 877-337-6666 is the number. John and HH, Hasbrook Heights, you're up next on the fan, John. Coach D, it's been a long time. How are you? I'm great. How are you? Doing good. Doing good. Throat's ready to go. Can start yelling at referees this fall in the in the fall league. So I'm can't wait. <laughs> I, I <laughs> good. Good. Uh, hey, um, two things. Giants on the offensive line. Couldn't agree more. It's obviously a concern for all the fans. But let's keep in mind a little bit of positive. Okay, we know that they're absolutely the run game did get better. Yeah. As as the, the season went on last year, and that line did prove that they could. They could manage the line of scrimmage and have a running game in, in some of those games toward the end of the year. Mm-hmm. Middle of the season on Seattle, for example. So th- I think the run game could be there. Uh, they clearly have to pick it up on pass protection. I mean, no doubt about it. But I'm going to put something there on the quarterback and uh, on, on, on Daniel uh, Jones mm-hmm. that he's going to have to learn to protect himself. And you see all the veterans and the, and the quarterbacks that make it. They know they got that clock in their head. Yes. They know when to get rid of the ball. They don't hold on to it too long. They get it out of bounds. They're not going to throw that bad pass downfield for the interception when they're getting hammered. You know, so he's a lot of this is on him. And a lot of pass protection, a lot of great lines that we've seen over the years get helped by the quarterback knowing what to do. We know that. Um, so that's part of his development to well, help that line. And, and, and they John, can help him better. Yeah, and that's the one thing I would say. And thanks for the call there, John. That's the one thing I would say um, – the hesitancy to play Daniel Jones in these preseason games. I mean, he has to build. We talked about it last week. He has to build that internal clock of of everything that you just said there, John. And and sitting out and, and doing it from the sideline in preseason game one isn't the way to do it. Uh, I saw the last I saw. It looks as though he's going to get some time against the Browns, but again, he's not going to have no no Kadarius Tony. Who, by the way, everybody undisclosed why he's not going to be playing. I told you guys this, bring it up every week. He's not going to have Galladay. He's not going to have Rudolph. He's not going to have Barkley. So, I mean, I can see, but from a developmental standpoint, he has to be able to start to build that up against an opponent that is not wearing a a blue or a white jersey, a Giants jersey, a practice jersey. You know what I'm saying? So um, I would like to see more of Daniel Jones in the preseason, like more of it. If, If Patrick Mahomes played three series in his last game, week two of preseason, right? It was on, I was watching the Met game, but I think it was on last night. I had baseball on, but he played three series. Well, then why can't Daniel Jones? You know what I'm saying? And I got a, a check-in uh, from Chris Sheeran from the Yes Network. He's tuned in and he said, uh, uh, I would say that the Yankees won the Jake Cave for Luis Heald deal. For sure. <laughs> and that, again, is a trade with between the Yankees and the Minnesota Twins. So, yes, Chris, I'd say so as well. Bensonhurst, Dave, you're up next on The Fan. Hey, Danielle, it's great to hear you during the day. It's the first time I ever spoke to you during the day. I love it. I love being here during daytime. Looking out the window, you see people. It's nice. Yeah. Well, you need to be. You need to reach more people. They need to keep you on during the day. And they, you got to co-host with Big Zoo one day. you got to get him <laughs> on there, too. That guy's oozes personality. I love that guy. Yeah, yeah. We'll see what happens. We'll see. All right. So I just got a couple of quick things. First, um, Steve Cohn was definitely wrong, like I said in the tweet, like you were saying about calling out his plays. But he's a a big-time businessman. I can't see him making that mistake again, you know? I don't see that happening. I hope not, because I hope he learned his lesson. He didn't delete the tweet, though. 
You know what? I I actually respect him more for not deleting it because everybody deletes everything. So yeah. He knows he's wrong. I know. I don't delete anything either, actually. <laughs> well, you really don't have anything you should have to delete. You know? <laughs> Everything's backed in facts. But go ahead. What, what do you want to say about the Mets disaster? The, the, I, did you I, hear I played Free Falling by Tom Petty to introduce this yeah, topic? That, that, listen, you couldn't have been more spot on. <laughs> I, I expected this, and I expected the Braves to be in first place and win the division, but I can't believe the way it's happened so fast. Mm-hmm. But I don't blame... Listen, and you know me, I was never a fan of Rojas. I do not blame that man. I definitely think he should come back because that guy has a halo over his head for what he's been having to deal with. And I don't even blame Steve Cohen. I blame Alderson and Zach Scott. I mean, th- this team is just not prepared. Yeah. I mean, you knew at 12 o'clock on deal day, deadline day, that DeGrom was going to be. Exactly. Yes. And you did nothing. Nothing. You did nothing. Nothing to address it. Guy, you brought in another guy. That all he does is lead the league in strikeouts. That's right. That we don't need. That's right. I mean, come on, man. And my last thing before I let you go, I've been saying it for three years. All my friends told me I'm crazy. Make Syndergaard the closer on this team. His deal is up this year. Make him the closer because if you can get that guy 98 miles an hour for one inning, because he he doesn't get out of fifth inning. He's got too, mm. too high of a pitch count every year. Mm-hmm. Let him be the closer. This way he gets paid closer money, so it's not like he's not getting any money. And get rid of this clown Diaz. And that's it. Move on. We got to gut this team anyway. So, Dave, that's a good point there. And you saw that uh, Noah Syndergaard said he'd be open to becoming a reliever once he comes back this season. I don't know if that's a bad idea. That's not a bad idea, there, Dave. Sign you up. Fire Zach Scott, and we're going to hire you. But great points, which we've talked about on here. They knew the, that Jacob, the, the injury of Jacob Degrom hours before the deadline. They didn't address it. They brought in strikeout king Javier Baez because he's a friend of Francisco Lindor. Let's call a spade a spade here, everybody. And then you got Sandy Alderson wanting the term "acting" removed from Zach Scott's title. Oh my God, that would be like the worst thing to happen for the Mets. That'd be like the worst thing. And I forgot what I was going to say at <laughs> the beginning of your point. They, I, he had something else going there, and I, I forgot what it was. But let's go back to uh, to you guys here. we got another Mets point. Gary and Clinton, you're up on the fan. Hey, how's it going? It's a pleasure talking to you. Hey, thanks for making the call. I appreciate it. Uh, yeah, if you let me get a couple points out. The, what you just got done saying was, was actually the, the just of what my point was. Mm-hmm. They went out and they paid Lindor more money than any other shortstop, and he's by far not even close to a couple of the other shortstops. Without having then played a game in New York City, which is a whole different animal, as we as we know. Right. but on, And on top of it, he's done nothing since he's got here. He's, he's been just a mediocre shortstop. Which yeah. We had a guy in the minor leagues that could have came up and done what he'd done. But on top of it, when it comes time to the trade line, he's got to have his buddy come in. So, so now we're looking at the same thing that they have in, in basketball now, where guys come in, they get a star, and he gets to say whose who's buddies are that are going to be on the team. Yeah, I can't NFL stand that. Like that too. I can't stand that, yep. And, and what that did, I think that actually, you know, they were saying, well, he's a good clubhouse guy. We didn't need a good clubhouse guy. We have good cl- – we had a good clubhouse. These guys were like a, like a family, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now all of a sudden somebody peed in the pool here now. You know what I mean? Because then now all of a sudden there's like fractions. That yes. We didn't have that before. Yep, I talked and about that in the open too. Shoulder. Yep. And, and I used to coach for a long time, and I, so I'm really – this analytics is killing me because these guys don't think for themselves. Mm-hmm. But you get a guy like McNeil. McNeil is a professional hitter. Yep. But this guy, he's trying so hard, he's actually playing too hard. Yep. You know that, that, old, uh, uh, that old thing about, like, you know, stay within yourself yes. and, and uh, yes. don't do too much? Yes. He didn't even need to do too much. The guy's a good hitter, right? Yep. 
If they were going to do something, they should have went out and got Bryant. And if that wasn't apparent to him, look what the guy did to us when we just got done playing. The guy hit three home runs against us like yep. in no time. Preach, but Gary. Javier Baez, and on top of it, when you see the promos on, on WF, uh, not WFAM, but Sports New York, all they show is uh, Javi Baez, what, with his one home run since he got here? Yeah. So there's like selling it to us, like what a great move it was. You know, so we'll, we'll get to see because the two of them are going to come back and we're going to find out what they're going to do with McNeil. Yep. You know? Yeah, and, and, uh, Gary, you know, I, I think that they're really poisoned. Gary, you're right on there. You're right on. I mean, it's it's everything we've been saying on, on this program here. And and can I really blow your minds, Mets fans? Can I really do it? Should I? Well, I'm, I'm going to. You got Ahmed Rosario, right, who was your shortstop. He's making this season $2.4 million. You got Francisco Lindor, who is currently your shortstop, making, um, let's see, yearly cash. million. And when you compare the stats for this season alone, batting average, Ahmed Rosario, higher. On base percentage, very close. That's a pick Slugging percentage, Ahmed Rosario, higher. On base percentage, Ahmed Rosario, higher. Total bases, Ahmed. You see where I'm going with this, you guys? You see? Talk about stolen bases, Ahmed Rosario, higher. Never caught stealing this season so far. I mean... I mean, either this is a really down year for Francisco Lindor or Ahmed Rosario is having a career year. I don't know, you guys. And call me crazy, but you can go back in the tape. I did compare these guys when it was like first rumored that Lindor was going to be around here. I said, I don't know if I would do it. And listen, you guys who listen to the show... I'm I was I'm, I'm willing Francisco Lindor to play well for the Mets. I'm willing it to happen. He's a slow starter, career star, slow starter. We get that. We know that. But now, I don't know. When you look at the salaries, especially Rosario, looks like a like a stud. So more of your calls coming up eight seven seven three three seven sixty six sixty six. I am taking you right up until. John and Susan's Yankee pregame show. That's coming your way on the fan. Welcome back to the final couple minutes here of Danielle in the daytime. Glad you guys enjoyed it. I'm getting a lot of tweets. All good stuff. We do have a couple calls on the on the phones here. I just want to close you guys out really quickly. If you guys can make your points quickly and succinctly, I have exactly about three minutes. So let's go. Angelo in Queens, you're up next on the fan. Yeah, Dan. Nice to have you on. And uh, my question is, don't you think that the Mets players should do some retaliation when they get hit with a pitch instead of being what they are? Retaliation? You mean from a pitcher? I don't know. I, I do like that, but I think the Mets are in not a position to uh, to retaliate. I mean, they're, they're in a free fall. I mean, but I do wish, you know what I do wish? That Luis Rojas wasn't so glued to the top step of the dugout in, in the game last night when Jeff McNeil struck out on a pitch that was four inches too far inside. That's what I wish. Show some fire that way. And he didn't. He stayed there in a pivotal point of that game. Richard, in Manhattan, you're up next on the fan. Danielle, look how lucky we've been in New York City. We've had a center fielder, left fielder, Gardner, for 14 years. Yeah. We had a quarterback, Eli, for 17 years. Mm-hmm. We had a goaltender, Lundquist, for 15 years. Yeah. We have the oldest broadcasting team ever in the history of sports, Susan and John, 82 and 75, respectively, and still going strong. We have Steve the Schmooze Summers still doing his thing 
at night calling calling shows, and we got Clyde the Glide Frazier still doing his uh, Nick Games and uh, analysts and wearing the suits and with the words and with the phrases, phrases with the phrases still going strong. So Swishing we're very addition. lucky in New York, Danielle. Yeah. Very lucky. Richard, thanks, and that's thanks for making that quickly. New York's a place to be, you guys. The continuity, you're right. Henrik Lundqvist, Eli Manning, even Brett Gardner, who I gave crap to often nowadays. They're all continuity. They all played in New York their entire careers. Derek Jeter, Mariano Rivera. Like, come on, yes. And head. Now we're going to add Henrik Lundqvist to that illustrious list of people that you just named. Mike in the Bronx, you're going to be our closer. You're going to be our Mariano Rivera of the night, Mike. Of the day, I should say. I'm pulling in the clothes. You see, I like this spot. <laughs> Two quick things. One yeah. is Chapman Dunn has the closer for the year, and is uh, is Lax is going to be our new shortstop for the remaining of the year. Mm. Okay. Two good questions. Um, on Chapman, I think Chapman is the closer moving forward. Unfortunately or fortunately, I think I think that's just how it's going to be. I don't see him in any other role. And then the other question is, well, who's going to do it? I know Loizga has been good, but I like Loizga in a situation where he pitches like two innings. He's like the bridge man to Chapman. Chapman's got to figure out in his mind. He just has to figure it out. And will uh, Velasquez continue to be the shortstop? Um, no, I don't think so. I don't see it happening. Once Glaber Torres comes back, that you know, it's it for Velasquez. Unless he can find himself another position, you know, be that utility guy, beat out Tyler Wade, beat out Rugnet Odor. Um, yeah, I'm just not seeing it. So, sorry. I do like him, though. He's a great kid. Maybe when rosters expand, he'll be a part of it. So thank you guys to all the callers. Could not have done this without you. I love coming here, talking with you guys. And if you missed any portion of today's show, you're going to hit that Odyssey Rewind feature in the app. It's free. Started at 10 a.m. Great job to Big Zoo, Eddard Zoom, and he's still tuned in on his way out. Connor Green behind the glass today, and also to Marco Belletti on the updates. I've got a lot of shifts upcoming this week. Stay tuned to my social media channels, at Coach M-C-C-A-R-T-A-N. Facebook.com slash Coach McCartan. I will tell you, though, I don't want to bog you down in the details. I will tell you that the next shift is going to be Monday into Tuesday, beginning at 2 a.m. Yankees at 1, Mets at 4, Jets at 425 today, and you got the Giants on at 1 p.m. tomorrow. It's been a pleasure, you guys. Up next, John and Susan with the New York Yankees pregame show. Sports Radio 101.